0: Go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to Village Church. If this is your first time here, my name is Steve, one of the pastors here at Village Church. And as always, I'm thankful, grateful to see each and every one of you. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Joshua chapter 1. That's where we will be beginning this morning, right there in verse 1 as we start a new series in which we're going to go through the entire book of Joshua as a church. Uh, if you have not been with us for a few weeks on your way out, if you'll commit to being with us next week, we have a free copy of a journal-taking uh, copy of the book of Joshua. It's free of charge, provided by the generous gifts of those that call Village Church home, and that's going to be available to you. So go ahead and pick one of those up. Uh, this is one of my favorite books of the Old Testament because it's filled with narratives of God's faithfulness to His promises, as well as His actions on behalf of His people to keep those promises. One of the things that always instructs and challenges me are the texts and narratives that urge me to, in fact, live by the very faith that I claim to have in Jesus Christ. And reading the Old Testament, though, is difficult for some people. They seek to kind of understand it in light of the resurrection. And for some people, that's difficult. So they kind of ignore some of the Old Testament. Some people kind of over-allegorize the Old Testament. But one helpful thing that's going to help you to understand how you view the Old Testament is what the Apostle Paul actually writes in Romans 15, verse 4. He writes, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And so he says there's four things that you glean from these Old Testament narratives. First is instruction. Second is endurance. Third is encouragement. And fourth is hope. God gives us these narratives in order that we might apply them to our contemporary lives. And if you don't apply them, you are missing a great fruit of what God has given us in his word for us to shape our lives around the faith that we claim to have in his son, Jesus Christ, every single day of our lives, because a life of faith must be anchored in God so that it can endure the resistance that you're going to have in life. One of the most difficult things that I've seen over not just life as a pastor, but just being a follower of Jesus for many decades is people that don't endure in the faith, people that forsake faith in Jesus Christ, walk away from his church. And of course, I don't mean by that, that people lose their salvation. I don't believe that that is true. I believe they never had salvation. And that's what's revealed through whether or not you live by faith the faith that the scripture gives us pictures of is one that we are to model every single day of our lives. But faith doesn't mean much until you define it by scripture. It's not some force like thing where you just believe and things happen. Where people will just always say the dumbest things. People just say believe. What? Have faith. In what? You do not conjure things just by believing. You don't make things happen through your faith. Faith necessitates an object that has power to do something. Faith necessitates a God who is in fact faithful. And so I want to start reading in verse 1 so we can get a picture of this. The text says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. That's a great picture that encapsulates What defined Moses' life? That he was called the servant of the Lord. That's probably the greatest compliment anyone could ever pay to you. Is that you are a servant of the Lord. The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. That's less complimentary. We've gone from the servant of the Lord to his secretary. That doesn't fill you with with much kind of hope or confidence. It kind of fills you with feeling like, well, we've kind of had a downgrade here. And we've gone from the servant of the Lord to his assistant. Verse 2, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, towards the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. Number one this morning, these first four verses mean to tell us that God is faithful to his promises. Not complicated, but difficult to believe. God is faithful to his promises. The reason this is difficult for the people of Israel to believe is because they're going through a difficult transition in which really a person that is unique in all of Scripture beside Jesus Christ is Moses was a triperspectival, is the theological term, figure. In other words, he inhabited three different offices. At one point or another, Moses was the prophet of Israel, the priest of Israel, and the king of Israel. No other person in the Old Testament lived that kind of life until we get to the gospel accounts where we get to Jesus Christ, who, of course, is the prophet, the priest, and the king. The greater Moses, some would say, in looking at the Old Testament. Moses inhabited these offices for Israel by the call of God. He had led Israel out of bondage, out of slavery in Egypt, and was leading them towards the promised land. Now they find themselves on the brink after falling under the judgment of God for faithlessness. And Moses dies. So at this moment, Israel is going through a transition of power where they're going from the servant of God to Moses' assistant. So understand the mourning that they're going through, probably the shaky foundations that they think Israel as a nation has, and God looks to the one who's going to lead Israel into the promised land, and he says, nothing has changed. Do not ground your faith in a person or in a circumstance in life, because it can't shoulder the responsibility. Only God can Moses is referred to as the servant of God, and that is his obituary. That is the life that he lived, saved, moment of faithlessness that led him to not being allowed to take the nation of Israel into the promised land. And now he looks to Joshua, and Joshua is referred to as Moses' assistant, because Joshua hasn't done it yet. Moses had. Joshua is just on the brink of leadership and God wants Israel to understand. Joshua is going to lead you into the promised land, but God was going to be the one that was going to deliver them into the actual promised land. Faith responds to promise by action. And that's what God tells Joshua. This, of course, is a role that Joshua was anointed by God to inhabit, but I doubt he felt prepared to walk in those shoes. In the midst of the implications and the imperatives of this text, God is quick to reiterate that this is all based on the promise that he had made. This wasn't about what Joshua was capable of attaining. This wasn't about his potential. This wasn't about his leadership ability, even. No, this was about God's faithfulness to deliver on his promises. Put yourself in Joshua's shoes. He hadn't experienced all that Moses had experienced. He'd seen Moses experience these things, but he hadn't experienced them himself. Not only that, but outside of his brother Aaron, textually leads us to believe that Joshua was the second closest person to Moses in his life. So Joshua isn't just going on through a transition in leadership. Joshua is mourning the loss of Moses. He'd seen Moses go up onto the mountain and he had gone up a little ways with him and waited. He was the first person to see Moses come down, face shining because he had seen the backside of the Shekinah glory. He'd seen Moses as soon as he received the Ten Commandments and he'd been there when Moses destroyed the Ten Commandments in anger. He'd seen Moses through highs, he'd seen Moses through lows, and he's probably going through one of the darkest periods of his life. But God looks to him and he says, Moses is dead. That quickly, and the text tells us. But what does he say? Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep going. Don't stop. Friends, some of you are sitting in a moment of pain from 20 years ago, and you are not living the promises of God because you refuse to move. He looks to Joshua and says, now is not the time. Moses is dead. You must lead. If you live in that grief and define what God is able to do through you based on the grief of losing Moses, you will never cross the river and experience my promise But he says, it's true, you've lost him, he's gone, and that changes absolutely nothing about the call of God on your life. Friend, every single one of you have endured pain, you've endured suffering, you've experienced some form of loss. This is universally true. Some of you have experienced a more impactful loss that others cannot even imagine, but that does not change the reality that God is calling you to move forward. You are stuck in a moment that you cannot get out of when God looks to you and says, nothing that you have lost, nothing that you have suffered, nothing that you have endured changes one thing about his promises, You've not lost so much that you don't still have the promises of God true in your life. But you will not experience the joy of the promise until you move forward for the promise. You will not experience the joy of the promise by sitting still. You will not experience the joy of the promise by refusing to move from grief. You will not experience the joy of the promise by reliving that trauma over and over and over and over again in your life. God calls you to move. Even in light of the pain, even in the pain, even through the pain, even through the the suffering, God says Forward. I tell people all the time the only choice that we have in life is to sit still and move forward, and I'm sure not going to sit still. You can't go back. There's nothing back there. It's gone. It's over. You'll never get those years back. You'll never get those days back. You'll never get those moments back. You can sit still, but God's not going to do it with you. He's moving forward. The only option any of us have that makes any sense according to Scripture is to believe the promises of God to a level that says, move. Because sometimes we get so overwhelmed by life that we lose sight of the anchor of faith that is God. Life is not about what I am capable of. Life is about what God is capable of. And he's capable of far more than I will ever be capable of. The expectations that we have or even the responsibilities that we shoulder can consume us because we look within ourselves rather than anchor our hope in God. And God looks to Joshua in this moment of pain, in this moment. Where could you imagine? He says, you're, you're getting a promotion. You're going from the copy boy <coughs> To the leader of the nation. How overwhelmed would you feel in that moment where you've got grief, you've got loss, you've got new responsibility? And all that God looks to jo- Joshua and basically says, He says, here's the task. I'm going to keep my promises. Get going. That's it. That's the training. But God says, do it. God didn't call Joshua to be responsible for keeping the promise. God called Joshua to be responsible for following God as God kept the promise. Joshua, though, trusted God. That's why he was capable. That's the one thing that he had on his side was that he trusted God more than anything else in life. I mean, of course, this is something that God knew was going to come in the life of Joshua. I mean, look at Deuteronomy chapter 3. He tells Moses, charge Joshua, encourage and strengthen him for he shall go over at the head of this people and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. Further, the promise and demand of Joshua one, three through four can also be found in Deuteronomy eleven twenty four. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the Lebanon and from the river, the river Euphrates, to the western sea. This was the promise of God. The responsibility that Israel had was to walk in light of that promise, not to deliver on that promise. Some of you are trying to deliver on things in your life that God has never called you to deliver. Some of you are shouldering a responsibility that God has never given you. God has never said, you deliver on the promise. No, God has said, walk in light of God delivering on that promise. That is a totally different outlook. If you look to the scripture as a whole, The question you got to ask is, are you walking in light of the promises of God or are you shouldering the responsibility of forming some kind of personal vision that has an unknown future that is dependent on you, your ability, your strength, your capability, your potential, your ability to come through in tough times? That is not the design of God. No wonder you're filled with anxiety. No wonder you're stressed to the max. No wonder you're manic all the time. You're trying to deliver on things that God didn't design you to deliver on. God's called you to live his vision, not your vision. God's called you to trust his promises, not promises that you came up on yourself. Some of you are really disappointed in God, actually, because you are blaming God for not delivering on promises that he never made. He made you anyway. He didn't promise you every day was going to be sunshines, rainbows, and unicorns. He's actually told you the opposite. This is going to be hard. It's going to be suffering. There's going to be pain. There's going to be persecution. If you're not hurting right now, somebody's waiting around the corner to smack you right in the face with it, friend. It's coming. God demands faithfulness to His promises above everything else, and that is where His blessings dwell. Because, friend, if God is faithful, and He is then faith demands a ruthless commitment to Him that sometimes deny the very circumstances that are real in your life. We get so cynical because of the pain, suffering, and sin of this world that it detracts from walking in the promises of God. But Joshua lived encouraged by God's promises regardless of what stood in the way. And I don't know that from Joshua 1. I know that from something that took place before Joshua 1 in Numbers 14. Moses had sent spies into the promised land. This was before they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. Most of those spies came back and they said, it's over. We're sunk. We've wasted our time. God's not going to give us the promised land because those guys are bigger than us. And I don't know if you know this, but big guys beat little guys. They said, oh man, the land looks wonderful but the people in it are ferocious. The people in it are huge. Some people pontificate that it could have been the descendants of the Nephilim, I don't know. But they look to the people of Israel and say, we are too few, too weak, too ill-equipped to take the promised land. And then here's Moses and Aaron's response. This was one of the weaknesses that Moses had. Moses lived by popular vote. And so if the people didn't trust him, he just took his ball and went home. Numbers 14 verse 5 says, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. They said, why don't you trust me? That's bad leadership. Moses should have mourned the faithlessness of Israel. But he should have done something about it because he trusted God. But look at verse 6. Joshua the son of Nun, Caleb the son of Jephune, who were among those who had spied out the land, yes, they tore their clothes in mourning. But verse seven, and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we possessed through, excuse me, that we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Honey, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Love this passage of Scripture. Because this is why Joshua was the one to lead them into Israel. Because he had one thing that other people didn't possess. That one thing was a ruthless, radical trust in the promises of God. He said, friends, if God wants us in that land, he's going to give us the land. Obviously, those big boys don't have protection. No matter how much bigger they are than we are, we've got the protection of God that they don't have, and in fact, if God is for us, then they were bred for us. In other words, they're going to serve us. Twelve went in, two believed. Joshua trusted God. Friends, even when circumstances would discourage, Josh exhorted everyone to trust in God and move forward. But you have to walk in faith. You have to anchor your life to the God of the promise and refuse to be dissuaded. Refuse to be discouraged. Just refuse it. And you say, you don't know how hard my life is. I don't need to know how hard your life is. Stop making the choice to be discouraged whenever anything bad happens in your life. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have the favor of God in your life. Live to be encouraged. When I get discouraged, you know what I do? I say, stop it and move on with my life. It's not that simple. It really is. It really is. Fathers, let me ask you a question if you're a father in here. What is your life anchored to? If you want your family to walk in faith, trusting the promises of God, you have to cultivate that environment and culture in your home. You have to. What vision are you following? The world's vision? Or are you following God's vision? I will tell you. Bad things happen to me all the time. And I am tempted to feel sorry for myself. I mean, look, I just, I just said all the time. But I refuse to ever let my children see me sit in discouragement and wallow in self-pity. Because that's not what they need. They need someone who believes the promises of God. And when pain enters my life, I take a stiff upper lip, upper lip and I say, what is God trying to teach me through this pain? I refuse to be a coward when suffering comes into my life. I refuse to be a coward when hurt feelings come into my life. Not because I want to be the toughest man in the room, but because I believe the promises of God and I've got a family to lead. Men, stop wallowing in self-pity. No one feels sorry for you, so stop feeling sorry for yourself everybody's got pain in their lives. Everyone's got loss in their lives. Why do you think you're more important than everybody else? Where you can sit and refuse to lead. I cannot stand a coward. I can't stand it and neither can God. He says they won't be in the kingdom of heaven. So, Father, if you sit passively letting life just just overwhelm you and overwhelm your family and your kids don't know what it's like to watch a man of God lead through the hardest moments in his life with a smile on his face and joy from Jesus Christ in his heart, repent of your sin and stop being a coward. But I got another service after this, so let's keep going. (laughs) Number two. Expect resistance when you walk by faith. Expect resistance. This is the main flaw that I see. This is the kryptonite to most people's faith. Because you see the promises of God. Go in, take the land, it's great. But then the storm clouds start to form and you say, wait a second, I didn't sign up for this. I'm going home. Look at what he says to Joshua in verse 5. He says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. I love that. Because he does two things. He gives us everything we want to hear and everything we don't want to hear, all in two verses. Everything that we want to hear. You're going to get... Everywhere that your foot treads. Then he goes on and he says, no one's going to be able to stand against you. Then he moves on even further and he looks at them and says, you will inherit the land that I swore to your fathers. But then he also tells us what we don't want to hear. I don't know if you know this, but the promise no one will be able to stand before you brings with it a presupposition that somebody's going to try to stand up before you. That for somebody to fall before you, they got to fight against you. I don't know if you know this or not, but when he says, be strong and courageous, that means there's going to be moments that are only designed for the strong and the courageous to endure. In other words, resistance is going to come when you're walking in the promises of God. People are going to stand against you. They're going to vilify you. Many will try to stand against you as you trust God, but all of them will fall all of them. No one shall be able to stand before you. We get fired up at such a notion and set a path of following Jesus into the promises that God has made, but then reality sets in. And it's harder than you thought it was going to be. It's more difficult than you ever considered it might be. Resistance pops up in your path, and that is the moment of the great discouragement. That is often the moment that many people quit because they didn't look at the implications. The path of trusting God is always going to be filled with resistance. And that is why you have to, number one, trust the promises of God. And number two, be strong and courageous with the promises of God. You have to stand against those that stand against you. I love Ephesians 6 tells us, he says, when you've done all that you can to stand, stand. It's like, well, I already did all that I could. And I'm going to fall. Why are you just following with stand, Paul? Because what Paul is saying is when you've come to the end of yourself, you've just begun to experience the power of God. So when you have done all to stand, stand in the power of God, because it's not about you, it's about God's ability to follow through on His promises. If you look back at Numbers 14, those other spies looked at Israel and pointed out all of the reasons that they would be defeated. Every one of them was anchored to circumstances that were real. i don't try to pretty this up, they were real circumstances. <clears throat> if you look at it on paper, they were bigger, more numerous, better organized, more powerful, and on and on. If you were looking at a risk assessment, go the other way. Those circumstances weren't fake. But the path of trusting God is founded on one key factor that outweighs all earthly factors. God will be faithful to His promises. That's the one reason Joshua said, let's go take the land. We've got God. That is greater than any other factor. These are similar promises from the New Testament. Just last week, we talked about the Great Commission. He says, Jesus rose from the dead. He has all authority in heaven and earth. Go make disciples. And then how does Jesus end it? He says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Hebrews thirteen five states that we should not be distracted or tempted by the materials that the world around us offers. Why? Because in Joshua 1, God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says that promise is still true and it is for the church. We must anchor ourselves to the promise of God that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Friend, I will tell you the favor of God is greater than anything in this world. Do you believe that? Maybe a greater question is, do you live for that? Because if you don't, you will cower whenever resistance comes your way. But if you trust God, you will have the faith that it takes to face resistance, whatever it may be, head on, as one who knows victory is on the other side of pain. Friends, God uses people to lead by example, it's real. When verse 6 says, be strong and courageous, God is speaking directly to Joshua because the people who would follow his leadership needed to look at his faith and be encouraged to have their own. You need great examples of faith in your life, but here's the deal that some of you refuse to accept. You need to be an example of great strength and courage in the lives of other people. That's why living by faith should never be reduced to an academic effort. I hope and pray in this series that many of you are stretched. Many of you are challenged, especially those that like me, you are of the reformed camp where you tend to have a temptation to reduce everything in Scripture to some type of academic pursuit with really no life on the other side of that pursuit. There is no question that the intellect is a vital part of growing as a follower of Jesus Christ, but it is no substitute for actually living by faith. The knowledge of God is that which pushes us to live in obedience to what God has revealed to us. This obedience then forms a life that is fundamentally dependent on the truth of God's promises as they push us to pursue His calling more and more every single day. Here's the deal with Joshua. He believed the revelation of God to the extent that he formed his life around it. Therefore, he's about to lead Israel into the promised land. The life then, friend, I will tell you, Of the disciple of Jesus Christ cannot be reduced to sitting around pontificating about the breadth and depth of the promises of God with no actual living in light of those promises. There's no substitute for actually going and saying, because Jesus has authority, I will make disciples. Because Jesus is with me, I will teach them to observe all that he has commanded me. Because Jesus is true, I can stand against anything that this world throws against me. Any threat, any vilification, any suffering, any persecution. I will stand though everyone else around me fall. Because someone needs to be the example of strength and courage in a world that is damned in sin. We must never cower before this unbelieving world, even if they redefine love, even if they redefine truth, even if they seek to take all that God has given into the life of the church. I will tell you one thing, friend, that I claim every day in light of the sinfulness of the world is I'm going to live in the favor of God every day, no matter what anyone says, no matter what anyone does. And that's going to require me to face the resistance of the world head on and realign my life over and over in order to match what God has commanded every single day of my life. And then I seek God's strength and courage again and again to wield the giftings that He has given me to pursue His promises no matter who stands in my way, no matter what they threaten No matter how attractive the world is, no matter how much easier the path of compromise is, I won't fall for the lies of the enemy, even if he is very witty. I won't do it. So understand, number three this morning, you need to form a faith that requires courage. You need to form a faith that requires courage. A lot of you are forming a faith that requires ease you are forming a faith that requires leisure. You're forming a faith that depends on sunshine. And even on those days, you're looking for sunblock. If the wind is a little too hard, well, today is not a day to be strong and courageous. If you woke up and your big toe on your left foot feels a little funny, well, today is not a day to be strong and courageous. No, that is the very day to be strong and courageous. That is the very day that you are facing resistance. You're going to face resistance from outside. You're going to face resistance from inside. You're going to question yourself. You're going to question everyone around you. You're going to have people literally stand against you. And I don't know if you know this, but you're still living in a world that's cursed by sin. So you're going to get sick. You're going to suffer. You're going to endure pain. You're going to endure hardship. We must stop building a faith that depends on everything going our way. We must stop building a faith that depends on my wife being nice to me, on my kids turning out exactly how I envisioned, having the careers exactly that I thought they were going to have. We have to stop building a faith that requires getting the house that we wanted, or the car that we wanted, or the career that we wanted. We have got to stop having a faith that depends on us staying healthy for a thousand years, no matter how unrealistic that is. We've got to have the type of faith that says, you know what? Sometimes my breath stinks. And sometimes my wife doesn't like my mood. And sometimes I don't like hers. Sometimes my kids disobey me. And someday all of them will disappoint me. Don't do it though. He ain't even paying attention. Like I said, (laughs) my faith just ruined. (laughs) He's not basking in the wisdom. Someday I'm going to get a report from the doctor that I didn't want to hear. Someday someone is going to hurt me greatly, as many have. Someday it's going to feel like the whole world is falling right on me they will not be able to stand before you. That's the day that you need that. Be strong and courageous. That's the day that you need that. Look at what he says, starting in verse 7. He doubles down. Only be strong, uh uh-oh, now a modifier, and very courageous. In other words, that first courage, that was the warm-up. It's going to get worse. Now you need to be very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left hand, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then... You will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Triple down. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Some of you need to underline that. It's been all gravy. Do this, do this, do this. Don't be afraid. Some of you are defining your life by what might happen, even though it hasn't happened. That means you're scared. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I love that verse 9 closes with that. He says, look, I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to give you that promise again. Strength and courage require effort. Some of you treat effort like it's something you need an antihistamine for. We're in allergy season, and some of you act like you're allergic to effort. Effort. You act like the sweat of your brow is something that would kill you where your faith in Jesus Christ is concerned. No, God calls you to great effort. Notice that the promise from verse three, every place that your foot treads, note what that was going to take. Their foot was going to have to tread. They were going to have to put some effort in. They were going to have to walk into the land. They were going to have to fight those people. They were going to have to need strength and courage so much so that he triples down on it. The key is an understanding that when you trust God, you will line your life up with the design that God has revealed in his word. This means there is a way to live by faith. And then the flip side is there is a way to live by sin. Do not go to the right or to the left. Stay committed to the commands of God. That is where you will have success. That is where you will experience the presence of God. That is where you will see God move obstacles. That is where his kingdom is being built. Be right there. Even when the world tempts you with apathy towards the things of God because of the default mode of corruption in sin. Don't be lazy towards God. Be effort-filled. Friend, it takes zero strength or courage to follow the patterns of a sinful world. But when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are giving your life over to an effort-filled war of worship of God through living to advance His promises of growth every single day of your life. That is the life of faith. This will challenge some of you. But the leader of the college that I went to would frequently quote Joshua 1. That's why I know it so well. Because the older he got, I think the more he forgot he had talked about it, so he just kept talking about it more. It's also one of the great things about going to a Christian college, and side note, parents, send your kids to a Christian college so they can learn the Bible. Just saying. He would tell the story of how he founded the college. Before 1971, the land that our college was on was just a mountain of trees, of forest. And it had one house that a former politician had built on the side of a hill for his summer getaway. And he said that every day he would go up on that mountain. He didn't even own it. And he would walk through the woods. And he would claim Joshua 1.3. Everywhere that your foot treads, I will give to you. Claim it as his own promise. And of course, after those chapel services, the biblical studies majors, the geniuses that we all were, (laughs) the seasoned theologians, we would all gather in the lunchroom and talk about how out of context such an idea was. Well, that is not the context of Joshua chapter one. I mean, that's a promise to the nation of Israel. The church can't claim that promise for itself. And sometimes I would start those conversations. (laughs) And sometimes I found myself talking to guys about it, and I would frequently look at them. And I would say, yeah. I I think it's totally out of context. Then I would look around. Say, well, but it seemed like it worked out. (laughs) Seemed like God gave it to him. Because he owned the whole mountain. Friends, the only way forward is through. And the only way through is with God. So over the years, I've frequently asked myself, why do I think claiming that promise worked? I don't think it had anything to do with this specific promise. I don't think it had anything to do with whether that was to Israel or to the church of Jesus Christ. I think it had everything to do with the fact that what verses 7 through 9 are telling us is that when you commit to living God's vision for gospel discipleship, when you saturate your life with His Word and commit to living out His design by obeying His Word no matter what, refusing to look to the right or to the left, then you will have a vision for what God can do through you. And then you will be amazed that as you follow Him, the obstacles that He removes out of your way and the things that He lets you see that you never thought in a million years you'd be able to see. I've seen God do some amazing things in my life. And none of them had anything to do with my potential. Church started with nine people. Now we're over 800 people. Can I tell you the path along that growth has had some discouraging days. I know that's shocking to believe. There have been a couple of days where I thought about quitting. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to paint it for you. There have been days when I would pass by a VDOT crew. You know how they have like, you know, 25 people doing a job and you think only two of them look like they're working, but you don't know what's really going on. And I would see the guy holding the sign. And I would say, I wonder if I could feed my family as the sign guy, because God knows I don't know how to build a road, (laughs) but I do know how to hold a sign. There have been days like that for me. And I will tell you that on every one of those days when I thought that the cards were stacked against me, when I thought there were barriers that village church would never overcome, when I thought that my inability was too great, that I could not be the leader of a people that will form a discipleship movement, that will be a church that plants churches, every single day of that, I've reminded myself of Joshua chapter one, where he triples down and he says, Be strong and courageous because I won't quit. I refuse to quit. I refuse to say, well, God did something pretty amazing in my life 10 years ago. I'm not satisfied with what God did 10 years ago. I wanna know what he's going to do through my life today and tomorrow and next week and next month. What could God do through your life if you would just move forward? If you would just believe that the promises of Scripture are yours, that the favor of God is on you, that He will keep His promises, Amen. and no one is ever going to be able to stand before the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's true. All of those things will encounter resistance that seems overwhelming but here's the deal when you keep trusting and you keep walking god keeps blessing and keeps moving his glory into your life only be strong and courageous a few application points this morning Anchor your life to God's promises and keep trusting. Anchor your life to God's promises and keep trusting. Be immovable when it comes to the promises of God. Secondly, expect resistance and keep trusting when you encounter it. Don't be a coward. Face it head on. Thirdly, pursue faith with great effort. Faith is a pursuit that you must grow. It's not just going to happen. Fourthly, commit to obeying God in faith. And just do it. Just do it. Sometimes you do need to look at yourself in the mirror and say, stop it. And get going with God. And finally, if you do those things, number five, watch God move in your life. You will not deliver the promises of God. But God will.